Amen. Have a seat. Good morning. For those of you who haven't met, uh, my name is Chuck Geschwin. I live in Jonesboro, Arkansas, here for the weekend and uh, participated in the church retreat and here uh, with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm 58 years old, began following Jesus at the age of 29, so uh, I, I love Jesus. He is so gracious to me. Enjoyed Jesus more in 2019 in a year of my life. And so uh, just excited to get to do what that song said, boast in him. Uh, super excited getting to see uh, tons of evidences of grace by being here all weekend. It's just been thrilling to my soul. It's always good to be here with um, our Soma family. I had the privilege of getting to travel around the south and visit with some of our churches and getting to see uh, Jesus, who really is alive, doing really cool things. And I love being just right in the midst of seeing names, faces, of real people that Jesus is impacting, uh, how he's graced them, and now how he's pouring out his grace through them to others. And uh, I just love when a church grasps excuse me, the biblical vision of being a church-planting church, and uh, that's what we're in in the midst of, and to even have Kendrick and Amelia, there she is, here, and as I was just uh, with the Lord this morning, I really believe he wants me to share a verse with you two. Is that okay? 2 Timothy 1, uh, verses 8 and 9, just as you head out back to Dallas, Kendrick and Amelia, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You're going out to Dallas. It's a holy calling, and your calling is not limited by your efforts and your gifts and your abilities. The only ministry ceiling you two have is right here in this verse because it's his calling, it's his work, it's his idea, and your ministry ceiling is his purpose and his grace. So rest in that. Just pay attention to him and hope that encourages you. He's good. He's there. And for the Crossing Church, we talked about this weekend, but really just the Lord just keeps impressing upon me. Um, just for you guys, just want you to hear. Hey, Jared. And um, that really just that word that you're calling as the indispensable foundation of your spirituality is to warm yourself at the fire of God's love. The indispensable foundation of your Christian life is receiving and experiencing the love of a perfect dad through the work of Jesus and just the experience of the Holy Spirit, making that real so that you feel loved and forgiven. If, if we don't experience that as the foundation of our Christian life, as, as we've been talking about this weekend, we'll just steal love and acceptance from all these other places and things will go awry. Quoting a really, really, really old guy, Augustine from many moon ago, he says that the pivotal factor in any local church is a supernatural, Romans 5.5, 5, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where a church and the people obviously in the church experience the, the pouring out of the Abba Father. 
and his great love. God is love and the foundation of a Christian life, the foundation of the church is that supernatural pouring out and reception of love that then makes everything else be an overflow. So, Crossing Church, warm yourself. Win the morning, day after day, and warm yourself with the fire of God's love. And I think as you do that, you'll see that God will kindle the fire not only in you, but through you and expand that. And may he stoke a raging fire of renewal, of fresh release of the works of Jesus in Monroe and Louisiana and the South in you and through you. And that would be a good way to spend a life. And then, like a second word for you crossing churches, uh, not only stoke the fire and warm yourself with the fire of God's love, but stoke the fire of your curiosity about what God is doing all around you and all in you. God is at work. He's alive. He's ever-present. He's, he's out in front of you. He's beside you. He's behind you. Uh, our task is to learn to pay attention to God in and around you. And that's going to be my message to you this morning from Psalm 126. And the title of my message is, the, I'm going to help, the title is, Locating the God of All Renewal. Locating God. I know that's a weird phrase, to locate God. I mean, uh, he's not missing. He knows where he is. But often, I'm blind, I'm deaf, I'm dumb, I'm dull to what God's doing in me and through me. So maybe there's a few of you uh, who are like me. I heard this phrase, locating God, uh, back a little over a year ago when Zach Eswine was, uh, our whole Soma retreat was gathered. And he says it's the task of the Christian leader to help their people locate God. And obviously, God's in the Scripture. We're going to turn to Psalm 126 and turn to the psalm. And this psalm has been the most favorite psalm I've had in the last year. And it's really helped me to locate God. What is He doing? What's He doing in me? What does He want to do in me? What's He doing around me? And what does He want to do around me? So turn to Psalm 126. And I want to show you this morning just three truths out of Psalm 126 in this psalm. So... You there? Thank you. I really sense this psalm uh, will be hugely beneficial to three types of people this morning. The first type of person can be benefited by Psalm 126 is cynical people. Whether you're a cynic by nature or you're in a season of cynicism, I believe Psalm 126 can richly benefit your life, starting today. Cynicism creeps in my life, creeps in season after season, and maybe you're in a cynical season. Maybe you've gone hard after the Lord or a particular mission over a, a season, and you're not seeing as much fruit as you want, and you begin to think, is God real? Is godly, godliness worth it? What am I doing? Is, this, is there a better way to live? Is there something more fulfilling and more satisfying? And it's easy to get cynical. And when we get cynical, we just tend to maybe punt God altogether. But that's probably not you because you're here in a room. And God wants to bless you today. When we get cynical, we tend to dial it back or compromise or coast or just begin to consume religious goods and services. And we stop getting curious and we stop imagining and trying to pay attention to what God's doing around us. And I really believe Psalm 126 can help you and benefit you. One 
thing the Psalms do? The Psalms give you a voice of faith when you don't have your own faith. So when you feel faithless or cynical, you can crack open this book of Psalms. And the Psalms are in our Bible to help give you a voice of faith, to give you more faith than you currently have. And that's why today I think Psalm 126 can help melt your cynicism and maybe rekindle a fire of passion for about why you're alive on planet Earth today. The second kind of person I think that Psalm 126 can benefit because there's a huge prayer in here is it can benefit prayerless people far too much of my life is still described and characterized as prayerless much of my past is prayerless and I'm not here to get on to you you know you can always say guilt any group of Christians talking about you know money or or praying and that's not my point my point is what I've I've traveled around the south visited our churches most people Really had been taught to pray, had been encouraged to pray, especially big prayers, prayers for renewal and revival in their city, in their region, and in their world. And so again, Psalm 126, I believe, can add faith, can supply faith if you would say that there are prayerless pockets of my days, prayerless pockets to my life, prayerlessness in my DNA or MC or church. I think Psalm 126 can supply faith to prayerless people. And the third group, I think, not just cynical and prayerless people, but hungry people. People that say, I'm as hungry for, the, for a move of God in me and through me ever before. They sense the Spirit stirring. They want more of God. They want to learn more of Scripture. They want to give themselves away more. And in a book I'm reading called Reappearing Church, uh, Mark Sayers has a, a really a great invitation to the church of North America. And he says, what every city in the West, the West culture needs uh, in, in America, as part of that West, what every city needs is a remnant of God's people pressing into His presence, contending for renewal. And we gather a group, maybe, you, you, not all of you are hungry, but maybe Psalm 126 will create a hunger and a stirring in you. And if you're already hungry, I think this will give you some tracks, and this will be a feast for your hunger. And give you some direction about your days ahead. So, very simply in Psalm 126, I want to show you three ways to locate this God. Who's the God of all hope and the God of all renewal. So, look at these first three verses. First, I just want to show you and help you locate the God of past renewals. Locate the God of past renewals. And this is in Psalm 126, verses 1 to 3. This is a song of ascents. In this section of the Psalms, there's 15 Psalms beginning in 120, and these are the pilgrim people of God. They're the Psalm of Ascents because they're going up a mountain, not just any mountain. They're going to Jerusalem. They're going to Zion, and they're going for a festival. They're going to seek God. They know this isn't their home. The earth isn't their home. They know there's more to life. They're, They're seeking God, and so they're going. They're hoping for breakthrough. They're hoping for fresh insight. They're hoping that their blind eyes are open, their deaf ears uh, you know, are healed and their dead hearts or dry hearts are refueled. And so they annually did this and they, they marched and they pilgrim uh, all the way up the mountain to Zion and to Jerusalem. And that's why these are called, these 15 Psalms are called the Psalms of Ascent. So these, this is a preparation for their time as they're worshiping the Lord. And it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. 
Now, in verse 1, this word Lord is Yahweh. So this is the covenant God. They were, he had already rescued his people. And then he says, this is a past tense. At one point in time, the God of Israel restored the fortunes of Zion, which is the same thing as Israel. He restored their fortunes. Now, this isn't talking about their bank accounts, their money. This is talking about the fortunes of their soul, of their existence, of their purpose. And it's interesting that in Psalm 126, it doesn't give us the historical occasion. God had many times miraculously intervened, right, into the life of his people through all Red Sea, rebuilding the temple, uh, all these sorts of things. And this psalm doesn't tell us which occasion. And so it's teaching us a principle to look back because past faithfulness of God fuels present hope. And that's what these people are doing. There was a time as they're marching to meet with God that he restored the fortunes of Zion. And that's a power-packed phrase. That, that reversal of fortunes is just defined by people smarter than me. It's just a complete reversal of fortune. It's kind of like, think, you know, in Job's life. It went from everything ruined to getting everything back. I mean, this is a crazy, miraculous act of power and grace. And what it says is, it says when we think about what God did in our past, we were like those who dream. We were like people who had that curiosity and imagination and like, man, dreams were coming true at this time and past. The longings of their heart were fulfilled. The desires of their heart were granted. And that happened in a time past, totally by the sovereign act of God. And then in that same vein in verse 2, it says, when God restored our fortunes, weren't our mouths filled with laughter and our tongues with shouts of joy? Friends, when God moves, when God shows up, in the aftermath of a move of God, there's always joy. There's always rejoicing. He's a great God because it's like, oh, God was here. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Man, did you see what God did? And so a move of God is measured in this passage by dreams coming true, laughter on our lips, and tongues with shouts of joy. God's in the dream-fulfilling, laugh-making, joyous, shouting, and singing God. He knows what our hearts long for. The work of God they're pointing back to in verse 2, he goes on to say that the nations paid attention. So this was something huge. It says, then they said among the nations, this is now not the people of God. This is the people they're a mission to, on mission to. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Isn't that amazing? I mean, churches exist for the fame of Jesus. This is a prayer. This is something we all should long for, that the people around us go, did you see what God did? Not how great they organized or how great they preached or how great they did anything. It's like, oh, my gosh, what happened there can only be explained by what God did. That's why we do what we're doing. That's our only hope. We're not super impressed with ourselves, right? I hope not. I haven't accomplished much, okay? But God can do great things. And in verse uh, 3, then the people come in. They've reflected on the past. The nation says the Lord's done great things for them, and they agree. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Again, our souls are nourished by past faithful, by past recalling God's path faithfulness. And we need to look back. And so, first, locate the God of past renewals. That's what those people were doing. They were remembering the past. 
of what God was doing. Now, God can do big things in Monroe, in Louisiana, in the South. This is not an impossible dream. Because we, I'm using the word renewal, awakening, revival, broadly, interchangeably. Because sometimes in the South, there's a bunch of uh, interesting pictures that come to your mind when I say, let's pray for revival. Um, I'm not necessarily picturing a tent on an empty lot. I'm not even picturing planned meetings. I'm not necessarily against any of those things. That's just not what I'm talking about. So I think I've got some just definitions out of Mark Sayers' books again about what we're talking about with renewal. And renewal is, boom, it's up there because I've seen it. Hello, yeah, renewal. Think about this. Renewal is the refreshment, release, and advancement. I just love those words. I, I want the gospel to refresh us, release us, advance that individuals, groups, churches, and cultures experience when they're realigned with God's presence. And the second part of renewal is when the people of God begin to resume their God-given purpose to partner with God fully, participating in His mission to flood the world with His presence. So when renewal comes, when there's a fresh season of trust and obedience in God's presence, there's always this saying, God, I want to partner with what you're doing. But we have to know what God's doing to partner with Him, so that's renewal. And then Sayers goes on to say, revival is when renewal occurs on a large scale, bringing significant advancement, growth, and kingdom fruit to a city, people group, movement, region, or nation. Revival is renewal gone viral. So revival is just a, a fresh release of God's movement. It's God rending the heavens, use Isaiah language, and coming down. It's, it's some people have just simply described it, and this is maybe on my levels, cookies on the bottom shelf. People have described revival as just not something... Um, extraordinary in the sense that God's doing a totally new thing. It's just a seven-fold magnification of the normal work of the Holy Spirit. So everything the Holy Spirit, every office, every work of the Holy Spirit, and the anointing of a, uh, a, a preaching or a sharing the gospel or of receiving it or hearing or a seven-time depth of joy as we sing or a seven-time depth of even a conviction of our sins, so a seven-times uh, appreciation of the forgiveness and cleansing, just anything the Holy Spirit does, if it magnified seven times, that, that's the kind of church I'd want to be a part of, <laughs> frankly, yeah, right? That's the kind of city I want to live in, and that's what I want to give my life to. That's what I want to see. And so God's done it in the past, and that means that God's capable of doing it again. Okay? Now, again, Maybe there's a little cynicism raising in some of you. So here's what I want to do for you before you get all cynical on me. Know that the God, my God, your God, the God of this Bible is free and able to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, to whomever he wants to do it, and through whomever he wants to do it, okay? And his ways are beyond figuring out. We must, they must be revealed and we must listen. He's a big God. Our God is the God of Jonah who probably through the worst sermon recorded in Scripture just started screaming to his enemies, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And they believed God. And 120,000 children got saved. That's the God we're talking about. Our God's the God of Jonah. I mean, Josiah, the priest Josiah found the book. He ripped his shirt. He repented. He opened a Bible, these scrolls. He taught them, and the whole city worshiped God. That's a move of God 
That's what we want. Our God's the God of Pentecost. Acts 2, 3, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, all of a sudden, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And you know what happened. 3,000 people got saved that day, and then they continued day after day after day. Our God is not only the God of Jonah, Josiah, Pentecost. He's the God of Samaria. When they, they went to this place where these half-breeds who were confused about who to worship, but when the true Jesus was preached, it says there was much joy in that city. Not just in their hearts, not just in their church, but God can make a whole city, make Jesus famous in a city, and they'll just say, be described as much joy in that city. Is there much joy in Monroe, West Monroe? Do you want there to be? God can do that. Our God's the God of the Gentile, Pentecost, described in Acts 10. It says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and they were amazed and astonished because the gift of the Spirit was given even to the Gentiles. And friends, make no mistake, revival will happen in Monroe, Louisiana, one way or the other, either before or after Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, that's the ultimate revival, right? It's the new kingdom set up on planet Earth. Read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. The earth will become exactly like he said. We'll see Jesus face to face. His presence will be physical. He will wipe away every tear. There will be great rejoicing. There will be no more racism. There will be no more poverty. There will be no more sadness, no more shame, no more guilt. You'll have this great reversal of fortune that got experienced there will be the ultimate great reversal of fortune. You'll be able to feel love and give love like never before. You'll never be hurt again, and you'll never hurt anyone again. That's real. That's going to happen in Monroe, in West Monroe, Louisiana, forever and ever and ever at the second coming of Jesus. It's true news. And Jesus taught us to pray. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. So revival is just God giving us a foretaste of the ultimate revival. Well, hopefully you're getting maybe a little less cynical and being able to locate this God who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants to do it. But I'm not through because God not only all through Scripture brought great renewals and revivals in the Bible, he's done it in church history, generation after generation, continent after continent. Our God is the God of the Reformation in Europe in the 1500s. There's a great awakening of the gospel of justification of by faith and just a fire of, of God's acceptance and love and freedom and forgiveness filled just city after city and country after country and Luther who got blessed immensely in that just in his deeply burdened conscience uh, historians tell us that what Luther simply experienced when his eyes were awakened to the grace of the gospel of justification that you can be right with God despite your sin in spite of your sin in spite of your unworthiness was that he simply experienced immense relief and for the rest of his life he experienced immense relief the weight of his guilt and sin and shame was forever gone. No more condemnation. And that's the invitation. So God's the God who sent revivals in Scripture. He sent them in church history. He sent them even to our continent in the Great Awakening, 1739 to 1742. God once again ripped the heavens open and came down even to America through the likes of guys like Edwards and Wesley and Whitfield and others and uh, ordinary people and just crazy stories. But one historian said that 
what happened during the Great Awakening was spiritual, picture this, spiritual fervor blanketed our country. It wasn't 50 states then, but spiritual fervor blanketed our country. What blankets our country now? Fear, anxiety, cynicism, arguing, injustices, racism. We need desperately in America, in the South, for God to be gracious to us. Well, hopefully, Psalm 126 is giving you a voice of faith about our great God and helping you locate the God of history who's able to do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it, through whom he wants to do it, both in Scripture, both in history, even in our country. But I'm not through yet because you know what? Our God is currently sending revival on planet Earth, March 1st, 2020, it's just mostly in the east, not in the west. But our planet is experiencing these similar outpourings right now in Africa, India, Brazil, Nigeria, on planet Earth. Our God is not dead. Our God is not handicapped. Our God is not limited. Our God is doing whatever he wants. He's free. He is God. So first, I'm trying to help you see in these first three verses to help locate the God of past renewals. So hopefully this recollection and this faith will be stirred. And Spirit of God, will you do that? So in the same way that these pilgrims were going up, recalling the past works of God, we're pilgrims, right? We're not home. This isn't our home. And so let's be stirred up by the God of past renewals. And second, in verse 4, I want to help you see, then locate the God of future possible renewals. Two are very related, but look at verse 4. It's amazing what they begin to pray. What that past recollection, re recollection did was help them pray and beg God. Verse 4 simply says, using that same phrase again, reverse our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Restore our fortunes. Do this great reversal again. They were not in a period of renewal and revival as they were marching up. And they're out in the desert. This Negev was a, a dry de uh, desert. It was one of the driest places on earth. And it's not like the Sahara and the, maybe my original image is a desert. This is a desert where there's mountains and caves and, you know, rocks. And you think about David hiding in caves and uh, in that area of the country. It was a real desert and a real place. And what these people knew, how God works in creation, uh, similar to what we just sang in that first song about how God, uh, which is a, this isn't a point, but it'll preach as they say. Uh, anyway, I think that's an old Tony Evans thing. Anyway, I was just sitting sit, there singing about the trees, and I'm like, you know, you know what? Mud is part of God's, dirt's part of God's creation, right? You know? And mud is a million times more obedient to God than I am. Because every single time, Rain goes on dirt, it turns into mud. Man, I said, God, help me be a little more like the dirt. Help me just just respond to you like dirt turn into mud. I mean, that's how silly we are to not trust our God. But anyway, back to the back to the notes, or we'll be here for days. Um uh anyway, so um oh the Negeb. And so what would happen actually about once a year these just all of a sudden huge rainstorms would come and they would just 
you know, crash down on these mountains, and they would have these valleys and these torrents, and they would just be instantly filled with water and would spread out through the whole region. And what happened, almost miraculously, it was just a real quick, uh, the, the flowers would burst forth. And so it's almost like an instantaneous uh, visible fruit from this rain, this dry desert became alive. And so these people were very aware. They had seen actual, the actual Negev actually go from dry to fruitful you know, throughout their life. And perhaps that's where they were walking through to get to uh, Zion and Jerusalem at that time. But what they said is they thought about the God of the Bible and the God of their past. They simply said, do it again, Lord. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. This is a cry for revival. This is a cry for God to work all of a sudden. Do it right now, just like in Acts 2. It says, all of a sudden. There is an aspect of the way to locate God that He can do things all of a sudden. So if He does that in your lifetime, I want you to not just dismiss, could God really do that? No, He does do that. And it's possible. And I ache and yearn and I'm hungry for it to do it in my lifetime in the South, which is the part of the world that God has called me to live in and to pray for and encourage people in. So what's possible in the South? Got a great quote. Can history repeat itself? Well, history can only repeat itself if God hasn't changed. Listen to this quote by Walt Kaiser, who wrote a great book about the 16 major revivals in Scripture called, I forgot what it's called. Oh, Revive Us Again, I think. So, listen to this quote. If the Spirit of God did not periodically, can you read that? It's kind of small. I'll read it to you. If the Spirit of God did not periodically send revival, this world would be in extremely sad shape. It's alarming to see how the lessons learned by one generation are totally forgotten in another. But thanks be to God, he will not let his fallen children roam about in spiritual fatigue forever. Okay, before we finish, do you ever experience spiritual fatigue? Yes. Based on this marvelous record of intervention, there is always the hope and expectation that God will step into the present order of things. No matter how bleak and how adverse the circumstances seem to be, all believers should have a deep expectation and firm belief in the possibility of revival for their day. God of the Bible, my God, your God, has a marvelous record of intervention. People who study revivals talk about, you know, as God's people pray and God sends revival, they describe it like the heavens are thinning that the conversations and the movement between earth and heaven, that just seems closer and the, the barrier seems thinner and there just seems like heaven's coming down and there's just like pouring forth through the thinness of the heavens and prayer helps thin the heavens. Oh, Lord, do it again. Turn for one second over a few psalms to your left, Psalm 85. I'm going to show you one verse, Psalm 85, 6, which is the most famous single verse on revival in the Scriptures. Psalm 85, 6, or you can just look at the screen, either one. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Notice it's a prayer. Do it, Lord. Psalm 85, 6, 
Psalm 126.4, really saying the same thing. Restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. God, go boom, you know. Give us revival. Revive us again. And always remember, what always follows revival, renewals, and awakenings? Joy. And that's what Psalm 85.6, revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. We need to rejoice as God brings these blessings of grace upon us. And so, as I did this weekend, I'm going to invite a few of you, not all of you. Y'all don't get to do this. A few of you get to do this. I'm going to invite a few of you, and you get to decide which few you are. I'm going to invite a few of you to join me at 8.56, either a.m. or p.m., in memory of Psalm 85.6, and just taking a minute and pray this verse. At 8.56 every night, my phone alarm goes off, and I'm just trying to learn to pray. Lord, revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you. My city needs joy. Bless us with joy. Revive us. Renew us. Awaken us. Rend the heavens and come down. Hallowed be your name. May Jesus be famous in my city. Lord, bring your kingdom to earth just for a minute. Because now, now y'all don't get to do this now, okay? Now, there's not enough room, okay? But a few of you, a few of you, if God invites you to join me, join me at 856 in the morning or night, or both, to pray for revival. If you do, I think maybe one thing you'll find is that your cynicism may begin to melt day by day. Just give it a minute to praying. If you do that for a minute, just a starter, just a minute, a minute of your day at 8.56 every night, perhaps cynicism will melt one day at a time. And your cynicism will give away to a holy fire. And depth of pressing into the presence of God, contending for renewal. Well, that's the first two ways. We're going to look at this third way. We can locate the God of all renewals in verses 5 and 6. But think about it this way. Okay, God can do amazing things all of a sudden. He's going to do it at the second coming. He is bringing it on uh, in the eastern part of our globe right now. We want him to do it in the west. Hopefully he'll do it in our lifetime. I believe God's preparing the south for, for some type of renewal. I think it'll probably involve both persecution um, and, and revival. I think he's stirring. I think he's doing a work in his bride uh, by grace. So what do we do? I mean, if that's true and that's God, do we just stop everything and just hold prayer meetings? No, we don't stop everything and just hold prayer meetings. Now, this may be a call to be a praying people, to be a praying DNA and a praying family and a praying MC and a praying church, and I hope it does. But what do we do until God brings that reversal of fortune? What do we do until he brings revival? What do we do until spiritual fervor blankets our cities? Well, here's what we do in verses 5 and 6. will tell us what we do. You see, because God works in renewal in the first way, we've seen the first four verses all of a sudden. You see that, hopefully. The second way he also works, totally different, same God, in a totally different way, he works sure and steady. All of a sudden, verses 1 to 4, sure and steady, verses 5 and 6. Look at these two verses. So what do we do until revival comes? We make disciples is the answer. These two verses are going to show you what disciple making is in the economy and kingdom of God. 
Verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who surely goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall surely come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now in verse 6, some Hebrew scholars I studied said, actually, you should supply the word surely two times in verse 6. It really should read more accurately. He who surely goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall surely come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him, his produce, his evidence of of grace. So, real simply, on this final point, I'm going to show you three renewal realities that jump out of these two verses to me. First, I just want you to notice the way God works. He works through the hard work of sowing seeds. The picture of seed is the gospel, right? The seed has life in it. The seed has to die. And then if you've never done it, you can get on YouTube and see that fast-forward camera thing about a seed going in the ground. Have you ever done that? And it dies and it splits and the roots grow and the plant comes up. and uh, It's crazy fun. And that's God can do that all of a sudden. Or he can do it sure and steady, but seeds have life in them. And so the hard work of sowing, the hard work of discipleship, which is the mission of the church, right? Amen? You haven't given me a single amen. This is my friend Darius who came with me from Jonesboro. You promised me some amens. Anyway, so, um, but the hard work of sowing, the hard work of discipleship is you plant. You plant seeds by displaying the gospel and sharing the gospel. You plant, you water, you wait, and you trust. You plant, you water, you wait, and you trust. And you know what you do? You plant, you you know, you water, you wait, and you trust. There's this agricultural reality to the kingdom of God. It's all through it. Faithful discipleship can at times be long and arduous seasons when God's not sending major revival like farming, when the weather is bad and the soil is hard. And in those seasons, you know what? It's so easy to do what? Get discouraged. Anybody ever been discouraged by the hard work of planting seeds? Yeah. Well, this is for you three. So easy to get discouraged. Zach Eswine says, as a reminder, most gospel fruit is born by small, mostly overlooked things done over a long period of time. Gospel fruit is born by small, mostly overlooked things done over a long period of time. So if you're in to the disciple-making gig to be noticed, repent. If you want to follow Jesus by doing small, mostly overlooked things in faith, as you plant and water and wait, done over a long period of time, you will surely reap. I'm getting ahead of myself. One thing that I always help remember that helps me uh, in times of discouragement because it's like, man, I see all kind of needs. And this phrase, I don't know who told it to me first, but just do for the few what you wish you could do for the many. Do for the few. Be faithful with the few. Bear seed, the hard work of sowing. Plant, water, wait, trust. Plant, water, wait, trust. That's the first reality of kingdom discipleship. The second is the certainty of reaping. Verse 5, you shall reap. Shall. It's a promise. You shall reap. Those seeds will bear fruit 
in a way that you will experience and see, even though you cannot see most of the impact of what you're doing now, by faith believe you shall reap shouts of joy. God's word doesn't return void. He's not wasting your life and wasting your time. He's not wasting the hard work of your sowing. There's a certainty of reaping. He sees you. He's with you. He's at work in you and around you. Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you shall reap. If we do not give up, friends, don't give up. Have eyes of faith. This psalm is meant to give you eyes of faith. That God sees the seeds you're planting. He sees how you're watering. What fascinates me by this passage is the two uses of water. In the first four verses, the water was an obvious, miraculous even, rain. 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 Rivers. Streams. And God does that. It's the all of a sudden work of renewal. But on the other hand, the only sometimes there is no rain. There is no obvious water. And what this psalm tells me is that if the only water available water the seeds of faithful discipleship are your tears or the sweat off your brow, that's enough. God is in your tears. You see that? Those who sow in tears shall reap your those who go out weeping. So either your tears of your frustration or the tears of your broken heart over the, the mission field and, and just the brokenness all around you, God is in those tears. And then your God's activity, taking a little tear and a little seed of the gospel, will surely, it shall work, it shall work. Make you come home with shouts of joy, bringing your fruitfulness with you, your sheaves with you, your produce with you. So the hard work of sowing, the certainty of reaping, and the shouts of joy, friends. We win. We're all going to be presented holy and blameless before the throne of God one day. You'll be rewarded for every single second of faithfulness. It's what the Scripture says promises he's a rewarders a rewarder of those who diligently seek him and so god works in renewal in two ways he's done it in the past he works in the all of a sudden which i call the supernatural extraordinary means of renewal but he also works in this sure and steady way which is still supernatural it's still him not you right so instead of that being the supernatural extraordinary means of renewal he also works through the supernatural, ordinary means of renewal of everyday evangelism, discipleship, and church, and love, and cooking meals, and serving one another. I am expectant. I am hungry for God to send revival in the South. And it's dawned on me that what's fueled my expectancy most in the last year is that there are several things common for all revivals. According to Sam Storms, who's written a lot about this, revivals all come suddenly, they all come sovereignly, we can't force his hand. But here's the, here's the element that stokes the fire of my expectation. You know what's common of every renewal, reviving, or waking in the history of the world? They're all shocking acts of grace. 
Not a single one of them was deserved by the people of God. They were our, it's our God's gracious attempt, and it's like, you know, the wave can only go out so far before it's to come back. It's this marvelous record of intervention. There's, a, there's an amazing grace of God for the undeserving. We want revival in the South, not because the South deserves revival, but the South needs revival. And Monroe and West Monroe needs undeserved grace personally and collectively. And that's the invitation to grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor for those deserving only wrath. And so, if you're not, if you don't have assurance that you're in the family of God, if you've never trusted or have a present trust in Jesus, Christ is your Savior and King today can be a great initial revival of your heart. You do not deserve forgiveness, but He's inviting you to be forgiven and cleansed and filled with the Spirit today. And it's a radical transformation. Again, God's grace is God's undeserved favor for those deserving only wrath. And your conscience may go, but I don't deserve it. And you need to tell your conscience, agreed. I don't deserve it. But I get it because Jesus lived and died in my place on the cross and he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So if you've never, if you don't have a present trust and assurance that Jesus Christ is both your Savior and King right now, that's the only application. His arms are open in love. Love. And he says, surrender to my love and I will forgive you. I've paid your debt. Come get free forgiveness. But for the people of God, three quick responses I would just recommend as you go forward. The first is very simple is you ought to begin to study past renewals, either in the Scripture or outside of the Scripture, because they will stoke past recollection. A recollection of past faithfulness stokes present expectation. Second, pray. Pray for current revival. Do it again, Lord. Psalm 85.6, won't you revive us again that your people may rejoice in you. And then third, the one thing that is promised, the one piece of renewal that is promised in Scriptures is you are promised not corporate renewal, not revival and renewal for your church, but you are promised the availability and invitation for personal renewal day by day. Because 2 Corinthians 4.16 says the invitation is we do not lose heart. Though wasting away outwardly, we can be renewed day by day. So I'll end with this quote for those are hungry to pursue personal renewal. Read the histories and accounts of every revival that's ever taken place, and you will invariably find this, that the one man or group, the little group of people who've been used in this way by God to send revival, have always known a state of utter desperation and final despair. Every single one of them. Read the journals of Whitfield and Wesley. Raise the life history of all these men. They've always come to this place where they've realized their utter and absolute impotence, their final paralysis. And he just pictures the Red Sea. He says, there's the Red Sea in front of them, so they can't go forward. The enemy's behind them, so they can't retreat. There's the mountains beside them, so they can't go left or right. They're shut in. They're shut down. They're crushed to their knees. That's always the prerequisite for revival. It's always the moment at which God acts. Holy God, help us to see, open our eyes to see the God of all past present and future renewals and revivals. God, help us. 
Open our blind eyes that we may see what you're doing in us. Help us to pay attention to what you want in us. Father, it's your kindness that leads to repentance. You say, come to me, you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And so your eyes are so kind. Your face has a smile, not a frown. You're like the Luke 15 father who's running towards us, arms open, and all you want to do is have us surrender to your love. Oh, God, for the rest of this service, love on us. Pour out your love. Holy Spirit, stir the Father's love for us. Show us the face of Christ. So glad you're here, Father. We just invite you. We just surrender. Your purposes are good. Your love is everlasting. And you and you alone know how to satisfy our heart. Oh, God, help us. Amen.